0: But lest some unlucky event should happen unfavorable to my reputation, I beg it may be remembered by every gentleman in the room that I this day declare with the utmost sincerity, I do not think myself equal to the command I am honored with.
1: The words of General George Washington. And this is the Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series *Turn: Washington Spies.
0: On this episode of the podcast, we'll take a look at Joe Walsh and his chances to be successful in the Republican primary against President Trump. We'll share our hot takes of the week looking at how the market might impact impeachment, Macron and Trump's relationship, and Nikki Haley's surprising tweet about Vice President Pence. But first,
1: Patrick, you released a poll this week that made news. Uh, yeah, yes, we did over at Monmouth University. Uh, we had a poll that came out on Monday that showed basically a three-way tie in the Democratic primary race. Although there is no such thing as a national Democratic primary race, but in the preference contest for the Democrats with Joe Biden, uh, Elizabeth Warren, and Bernie Sanders, they are uh, ba- virtually tied. No other poll had shown that up to that point, and in, in fact. Since then, there have been a couple other polls that have come out and continued to show Joe Biden with a comfortable lead of about 10 or 12 points. Uh, so this is what we in the business call an outlier. It's a poll that doesn't look like the others, but it's different than a poll, that uh, is, is wrong because of the sampling frame, or you know, we, we have these election polls, and you say, you got it wrong. Well, the, the thing with election polls when you get it wrong is because you're not sure what the electorate's going to look like. You're trying to model what we call modeling a, a likely uh, voter uh, electorate. We don't know who's going to show up to vote, so we're taking our best shots at the, at it. This poll, though, was done like we've done every other poll. This is the sixth time we've done this national poll did it the same way, had the same demographics in our poll, just come up with a very different result, a different result from what we had gotten previously, as well as a different result from what other pollsters were getting at the same time. So we t- decided we needed to, to use this as, as, a, as a learning moment, right? Uh, and uh, we put out a statement explaining, hey, we acknowledge this, as what's, what's quite obvious, which is that this is an outlier, and uh so this is why it happens uh, and it does it happens to every pollster a lot of times you don't notice it because there aren't a lot of other polls now, that come out you, yeah, go ahead
0: i have a question were you aware at the time that it was one that it was going to make a lot of news or yep. that two that it was going to be an outlier and if you did think Ooh, maybe this
1: is going to be an outlier was there any consideration of holding the poll right so we knew that the poll was going to be different and so I carefully looked at everything that we look internally to say, is there something that is off inside the poll? Now, remember, we asked uh, a lot of other questions in this poll that have already been released uh, we, about uh, the approval of Congress, about the direction of the country, about uh, Trump. We have other questions coming up that we've asked before about uh, gun control that we're going to be releasing in the coming weeks. And none of those poll- polls, none of those questions showed any difference for Democratic voters, the only difference that we got in this poll was for Joe Biden's level of support. That was the only no, but, statistically but significant. But again, difference. I'm going to ask you: when, Yeah, but, uh, when you mm-hmm. saw
0: that, when you saw yeah. those, the, that that poll was so wildly different because mm-hmm. there had been no polling up until that point that had shown a three-way race in that way, where right. Biden had not had this large lead. Did you have a moment where you thought mm, maybe this isn't because I, I've you know read you know I'm,
1: I'm like the pitcher; it takes a very long wind up before I get to the pitch. <laughs> Gotcha. So, <laughs> yes, I'm going there. I'm getting there. Um, so yes, so that's a long way of saying I was taking a hard look at what we were doing because I knew that this was going to be different. Now, I didn't know whether it was going to be what we call an outlier, meaning it's different from everything, or it was going to be the beginning of a trend. And that gets to your question of, well, why? You know, did you consider sitting on it? And, and the, the answer to that is absolutely not. Once now, I why? was Once why? I was convinced, once mm-hmm. I was convinced that our methodology, our demographics, our other trends were all in line, and the only thing that was different was, was Joe Biden. It was in, Joe Biden's support. It was incumbent on me as a transparent public pollster, and this is different from private pollsters, but as a transparent public pollster, to give you the numbers as I have them. I don't know what they're going to look like compared to anybody else who comes down the pike later, but that's the point. And one of the problems that we have in polling is that we have evidence from other places that there are pollsters out there who have admitted they held back a poll because it didn't look like everybody else's. Did that turned happen th- a lot in 2016? That like, did that happen a lot in
0: 2016 uh, with Trump? I mean, when Trump was elected, were there some polling where people were seeing that Trump was getting f- more support in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and, and the and Wisconsin, um, but they
1: held that poll because they were like, ah, it's, it doesn't sort of fit everything else
0: and I don't want to look like an
1: outlier. No, and no. Uh, you know, I, I know some of the evidence that we have is from polls in other countries where pollsters have admitted that they held back uh, and they actually had a poll that was right on the mark. And what the concern is in the U.S., and we, we don't have any evidence for this, but folks like Nate Silver have expressed this concern, uh, that there are pollsters out there who will adjust their weighting when they see a poll come in that looks something different. And they say, oh, I must have something off. And they kind of put, they, they kind of put their thumb on the scale a little bit. Uh, you know, I think if anything that, that you've learned about how I do my job and what I stand for as a pollster uh, with the release of this poll is I do not put my thumb on the scale and I stand by what we do. And sometimes in polling, and this is, this is the other thing that, that folks don't understand. You know, everybody looks at the, the margin of errors and sample sizes and so forth. There's something in polling called a confidence interval. And what that says is despite your best efforts— every once in a while you are going to get a sample or a question that looks different than everything else and there's nothing you can do about it because there is no such thing as a hundred percent accuracy in probability polling well, then and that's, the, that's why we call that's why we call the 95 percent confidence interval when, when we're talking about this we're saying every once in a while there's a poll out there that's going to be a clunker now most of the time you don't know that because it happens in maybe in races where there's not a lot of polling, um, but we're, we're, in a, we're in an instance this week where there, was, there were four, four or five polls out right in a row, and one of them didn't look like the others. Uh, and so uh, that was why we knew that this particular poll was what we call an outlier. We've done this exact same methodology six times now this year. And the other five times, were, were there any, anything close to an outlier? No, Joe Biden was always in the lead, and they looked pretty close to what other polls were saying. You know, everybody out there should, should always look at the averages. And if you get a poll that's different, you need to look at it in context. And can you learn something from a poll that, that like ours, that's different? And I think you can. And one of those things is, well, why did Joe Biden's support drop in our poll? Well, it dropped mainly among voters in later states, states that vote later in the process. We looked at that as one of our characteristics that we pay attention to. And this confirms what we've been seeing in a lot of other polling, which is that Joe Biden's support is different than every other candidate's support. Joe Biden's support is built on uh, voters who know him by name recognition, on voters who are not paying close attention, uh, voters who are looking for somebody who can beat Donald Trump but really don't know much about the rest of the field. And so when we ask our national poll question, we don't even ask you know, who are you going to vote for? Because the vast majority of the people that we, we talk to who are Democrats are not going to vote in a primary. And even those who are going to vote in a primary, the vast majority of them are not going to vote in a primary that has this setup of, of candidates because mm-hmm. they're voting later in the process. It'll be an entirely different race. And what we know is that the early state polling is significantly more indicative of what direction this race is going. Now, should we, tr- should we trust? Your poll moving forward or frankly should we trust
0: any polls for that matter? <laughs> yeah To to sort of put us into a position to understand where we are in the race
1: and that's that's a that's a that, that is absolutely a fair question uh, and i'm among the first to admit, you know when, when you get a poll wrong, I mean in 2016 um, I, I Had to admit, you know, we were off in pennsylvania for example and and looked at why uh, in this case, you know, we were off for a different reason. It wasn't because our sample was wrong. It was just simply because of that the vagaries of what polling is, and I said we use this as a teachable moment. But in terms of trusting polls, yes, you should trust them to the extent that you understand that they're not crystal balls. And every once in a while, there will be a poll that, that's different. I try to, you know, use use the metaphor of, of, of you know, baseball going, going up to bat. You don't want to throw a poll out or the whole concept of polling out simply because every once in a while polls off for the same reason why you don't you're not going to trade Mike Trout when he gets a golden sombrero. Right. So uh, which Fair for, point. For, for for people who understand that term, it's, uh, you know, when you when you go strike
0: out four times, uh, in a game, strike out
1: four times in a game. And uh, Mike Trout's done that, what, a half a dozen times or so. Imagine Maybe. if he came off the field and, and the general manager said, uh, you know, we got to get rid of this guy.
0: Now, in the future, if you see a poll that is so wildly different um, in terms of what was expected, uh, would you come forward or did you in this particular time come forward and speak that it could be an
1: outlier? I did an interview on CNN. Mm -hmm. I was on the air 20 minutes after we released the poll. And I was asked that question. And I said, yes, this could very well be an outlier. It is different from uh, the other telephone polls that we've been seeing. So you got it. You got to admit it right up front.
0: Well, it's been a it's been a, a heck of a week for you, and I'm glad that we have a chance to to talk about it in in such an extended way. Uh, it's uh, something to grow from, learn from, and uh, you know we we all learn a bit more about the polling process, which is which is great. But let's move on now to uh, a conversation about the newest um, member of the Republican primary campaign, which is Joe Walsh. He's speaking of outliers,
1: right? <laughs>
0: He's announced his candidacy, and we discussed him last week, but now he is in. So Joe Walsh, Patrick, what do you think?
1: Well, uh, I've watched some of his appearances, mm-hmm. uh, and he had a particularly, an extended one on Nicole Wallace's show on MSNBC, yep. uh, where he was really, I mean, they, they went after him. As, uh, as they as they as they should as they should as they yeah, as yeah. they yeah. should the way he handled himself in that and I'm going to defer to you on this because I think that's his performative capabilities yeah and. and getting attacked from all sides was just amazing. And I I just, I don't know how you do that. Well, he's one of the best. We've talked
0: on the show about Liz Warren and Mayor Pete and their ability to communicate with an audience, whether it be in front of large groups of people or on camera, right? And as an actor, the difference between being on stage and performing in front of a thousand people uh, and being able to reach the last row or performing on television, right? Because I'm a, I have experience in both of those worlds and it's almost like completely different jobs really. Um, But Joe Joe Walsh is, frankly, one of the best political communicators that I have ever seen. And he was, you know, that was a campaign that was doomed to fail that day when John Heilman went right after Joe Walsh with everything appropriately, with everything that Joe Walsh has tweeted or said over the course of the last many years as a flamethrower from the right. And Heilman took him and, and tried to end his candidacy right there at that table. Um, And Joe Walsh was able to accept responsibility for his past and speak to how he hoped to be in the future. I was amazed by what I saw. And thinking the the power of having a candidate going up against President Trump, uh, who is as good a communicator or better communicator than President Trump is almost invaluable, um, really for the Democrats. Uh, And because he can do, Joe Walsh can do some real damage over the course of this next period of time uh, against Donald Trump. And I think that that's why he got into the race. So then for him to sit at that table with Nicole Wallace, with John Heilman, and then David Jolly, who really took him to task saying, you know, there were people like me, David Jolly, who saw what trump was from the beginning why should we accept you as a standard bearer for us and walsh had a brilliant response to this he said well what do you want to do david you want to tell everybody who sort of picked up along the way that president trump is unfit for office and say yeah we don't really need you or we don't really want you that doesn't seem to be a very smart you know plan moving forward. And David Jolly acquiesced to a certain extent. And the thing about Walsh is every time he steps foot on camera, he's going to make some kind of news because he is like President Trump, a flamethrower. And all he's doing is directing his energy and anger at what's happening in our country right at President Trump. It's very powerful. And it was a very strong start considering the tough, you know, the tough baggage he walked into the campaign with.
1: Yeah, I want to. I want to get into some of the content of his of his campaign. But you know, where did you think that this could fall apart, and how he handled it? Because right, he walked into <laughs> the Lions Den, and and it was yeah. set up like you know he was he was going through had this litany of of, of complaints against him by yeah. these these rightfully these so, hosts, right? Rightful so, complaints. Uh, can you point to? particular instance or something where he took something that could have failed him entirely and he was able to turn it around. He took, what he did was he
0: took responsibility for himself. Not for, and and he wasn't 1,000% successful at this. He he failed along the way um, in moments, but he was always able to hold the conversation. I think it's his talk radio background, right? So he knows how to keep control of a conversation. There was one moment where David Jolly was trying to get a point in and, and Walsh looks at him and says, David, David, I'm going to give you the floor. Just let me finish this last thought, and then continues that thought, and then says, "Okay, David, it's back to you." At that point, Jolly, who was going to make a point, said, "You know what? I I agree with your point. So we can just move on." That's intelligence, and that's um, that's political. Like I was watching a political athlete up on that stage, um, or actually up in that in that television studio. He he was listening. He was he was present in what was going on. It was one of the things that we've. You, Congratulated Mayor Pete about. Mayor Pete always seems to be in the moment. Right. Joe Walsh is in the moment. He's listening. He goes, Yeah, you're right. That was terrible what I did. I I am and then there are these also these moments where he gets called out on something. He's like, Yeah, I, I see how that's offensive. I still think I'm right. I still think that I'm right to speak out for free speech. Now look do I think that Joe Walsh would be a great president of the United States? I do not. I see him very much as a means to an end. He like in 1992 with Patrick Buchanan going up against president Bush. Th- there's a, you know, you can put some chinks in well, the armor. Let's,
1: let's, let's come back to that. Cause I want, want to stick with the, with the performance stuff for, for, for a bit, because I, th- I think what you said about in the moment is something that a lot of people don't really understand. Uh, it's, a lot of candidates walk in there, right, with, you know, this is what I say. These are my talking points. I'm, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. working on my talk points. This is what I remember. And don't hear the nature of the question that's being asked them. They might hear a few key words and think, okay, this is the talking point that I pull out of the uh, file to respond to this. And the, For example, the, the most famous one that I can think of is 1988 uh, presidential debate where Mike, Michael Dukakis was asked about his position on— um, death penalty. Death penalty for for rapists, right? Rapists mm-hmm. and murders, and he didn't realize the question wasn't about his position on the death penalty. The, the question was, how do you feel about your wife? Show us you some humanity. Right? Okay, I missed that, right? And he missed that. He didn't listen to that. He heard mm-hmm. death penalty, and he went immediately. His brain went, "Okay, I'll give you my death penalty answer." Mm-hmm. Joe Walsh. This is, and this is the key. Joe Walsh, Pete Buttigieg listened to what is being said, and and on the fly can feel the room and understand, oh, this is what they're really meaning. Yeah. This is what they feel really the room. want to get at. Right?
0: That's really good. Feel the room. Because the, if you look at John Heilman's face as he's looking at Joe Walsh, it is a face of utter disgust. Yep. It's like, you know what? Now I get a chance to tell you what I think of you and all that you've done over these past many years. Well, you know what? Joe Walsh read that room. And he was like, all right, I got a guy who's trying to take me out here. I, I'm going to acquiesce to a large extent. But he didn't also just sort of crawl into a ball and say, oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm terrible. He, he was able to sort of take responsibility for himself, come with a, 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 a certain amount of humility, and then go back to his core message, which is it's not about me It's about President Trump. And if someone else from the Republican Party was going to be standing up and doing what I'm doing right now, I would get right behind them in line. No one's doing it. It falls to me. I'm willing to accept that. What's interesting is, you know, he doesn't need Democrats. That's not what he needs. Because they're not voting in the Republican primary. But what he does need is he needs to have enough acceptance from the left that the media will right. accept him exactly. and use him and bring him on the air so he continue doing what he's doing so it's a very like tricky balance that he's got to yeah, do he's
1: ally. and that's why um, in fact I want to point to what I think is was the weakest moment for him mm-hmm. in what was an extremely strong performance which was the issue of racism yes and, and it's about this issue of mm-hmm. making sure getting the left to accept you as as at least an ally in this particular cause if not a, an ally in everything that you do. And it was where he was asked about, he said, I don't see myself as a racist. And I think that was probably his weakest response there in terms of the audience that he had on yeah, msnbc but also, at that point,
0: what right? was worse than him saying that he didn't think of himself as a racist he then went so far as to say that he didn't think that president trump was a racist that he thought he was an opportunist and i think that that actually is is a line that's not going to go well for him
1: long term right like, and think, then I, you remember what he then what happened with nicole wallace pushed him and then he realized mm-hmm. oh Yes, I need to say that that he's a racist. So then he said, "Yeah, he's a racist, a xenophobe, whatever, whatever." Except serves the next purpose. day,
0: he was on the News Hour. And if the fact that Joe Walsh made it to the News Hour within the first couple of days, I think gives some indication of the media's hope that he can provide something. Look, we're dealing with a president right now who calls the press the enemy of the people, right, and deals with them as the enemy of the people, putting some some journalists' lives at risk. Here comes someone who's willing to fight against that. I think that if he can make himself viable in any way, he's going to get a lot of time. He also is really good television. I mean, he he's up there and he's, uh, you know, almost like President Trump was. If we go back to President Trump in 2015, everyone wanted to have him on TV. Why? Because he was fun to listen to. Because you didn't know what was going to come out of his mouth next. Well, that's what's going on with with, with Congressman Joe Walsh. Because you know it's going to end up with a punch in the nose to President Trump. And that's what's needed. It yep. may show the
1: Democratic candidate
0: when the Democratic comes along what works, what doesn't work. Well, this is one of the things that I
1: th- I think he's going to have to learn to to pivot on a lot. So David Jolly did this. Uh, it happened on the News Hour, where he was asked questions that you would ask of a serious presidential candidate, <laughs> yeah, right? That you know, was like, tough. What, what are you that's going to do in office, or how do you win it, or why do you want to be president? When, as you mentioned, we don't think that that's Joe Walsh's intention at all. Joe Walsh's intention is to ensure that Donald Trump is not the president. And this is his avenue to do that. But since you are running a presidential campaign, you're going to the press is required to ask you questions of why should you be president or what will you do as president? So how does he. What do you think? How do, how should he handle this kind I of I
0: think stuff? he needs to bone up a little bit, um, and I think he needs to have some answers for things. And I think that one of the dangerous spots for him is Nicole Wallace was saying, would you throw your support behind the Democratic candidate? And he hedged and hawed. He said, look, I promise I am not voting for Donald Trump. But for him to say, yes, I would vote for the Democratic candidate would be, I think, a mistake. Because you you need to get some credibility on the Republican side. So I think the fact that he's for his borders, you know, his he's in some ways...
1: He's further to the right than President Trump. But in the context of where we are right now, we're talking about the re- overriding reality that Joe Walsh is running this campaign with the expectation that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee in November 2020. But he's going to do something in the meantime to make it less likely that he will actually be reelected. And so my, that's my question is, what, what is he going to be able to do right now? And I have some ideas, too, but I'm so I'm throwing this out as, as kind of a rhetorical question, is what is he going to be able to do to make sure that happens? I think what
0: what he could do, if he's willing, if he's able, he's willing, gosh knows he's willing. Um, if, if he's able to loosen support for President Trump on the Republican side, he could open up a lane for someone like John Kasich to come in and say, you know what? Actually, President Trump's approval rating in, in the Republican Party is dropping uh, there may be room for someone like me to show up and and sort of save the day. Uh, that, I think that that's something that that he could hope to happen. But you have ideas and thoughts. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think it's it's that. I, I still think we're we're talking about except if in one of these unusual circumstances that Donald Trump is is continues to be the nominee. If Donald Trump makes his way all the way to the convention, he's the nominee. Yes, but. What I think Joe Walsh' purpose serves, and this is what I think in these interviews, and particularly what you mentioned about his response to Dave Jolly, is because Dave Jolly says, "I I understood the moment that Trump announced that I could not be for him, as the Republican nominee," and so like there's this purity test of like right. when did you come to this, and then I think Joe, as you said, Joe Walsh handled that really well. So Joe Walsh's purpose is to say to those who continue to either support Trump actively. Or more importantly, those who support him tacitly and just hope he goes away. And this is exactly what yeah. Joe Walsh said, right? Yes, right? He said, there are too many Republicans out there who just keep their mouth shut because they hope in 2020 he loses and,
0: and then everything goes, goes back goes back to and everything
1: goes back to normal. And what I think Joe Walsh's purpose is to serve is that, guess what? If you allow that to happen by 2020, that's going to be too late. That's you won't too late. get your party. Donald Trump, even if he loses in 2020 has transformed the party enough that you no longer have control of it. You establishment Republicans or any other Republicans, you can't get your party back and you won't get it back for, for a generation or it might not even exist in the same way that you think it, it does anymore. And I think that's the purpose that Joe Walsh serves. And is one thing on to get those the, Republicans to kind of
0: back yeah, off. Yeah, to, to back off to, and to speak up and to- and, But one thing I want to say to Democrats, I want to say about Joe Walsh, what he has tweeted in the past is horrible. It's on tap or further, worse than what President Trump did. I have a f- dear friend of mine who's a lawyer at the ACLU who said to me, you know, we were talking about Joe Walsh. He said, when the African-American community and the Muslim community forgives Joe Walsh, I'll give him a chance. Mm-hmm. Like, then come call me and I'll be I'll be happy to to give a listen to him. And I said, I understand that as, as someone who reads the tweets. I mean, the Newtown parents' tweet was the one that was so deeply offensive to me. That being said, for the Democrats... To do anything to sort of stop Joe Walsh from moving forward in his quest to help take Donald Trump down is foolish, and is not wise, and not something the Democrats should be getting themselves involved with at
1: all. Yeah, and that's why I said the weakest. I, th- I found I thought the weakest moment in that for that audience was his response on on racism. If he can finesse that answer, and I understand why he's doing it, because if he says yes, I'm a racist, Donald Trump's a racist, that also means everybody else he's trying to appeal to on his side of the aisle are racist too. So he right. can't call them racist. But what he can say is something to the effect of those tweets I put out were racist. Yes, and they he said that. And they let, yeah, and he did say that. And then you take the next step and they contribute to racism. And I was looking past that at a time. I didn't realize that effect. Something to, to that, to that effect. Well, I'll tell you, in any other time. period, well, But he has, admit, other, he has to admit it, right? He has to in admit In any other that normal, racism. in
0: any other normal time of life, Joe Walsh has no business running for president of the United States. But we're not in a normal time.
1: Now, Donald um, Trump had no business running for president of the United States. Well, he did. Right? And he so, changed the rules. So that, you're right. And that, so, uh, but the door was opened to him by— right. And this is exactly where, wh- why Republicans need to pay attention to Joe Walsh, is why was Donald Trump acceptable in 2016? is because the Republican Party had opened the door to him by turning their backs on their own core values, which included the core values of country before party which all all partisans, Democrats and Republicans, should have.
0: And every patriot right now who is looking at our country and who, who had, I mean, one of the reasons why I look at Joe Walsh and I say, well, yes, sir, go forth and, and do the best that you can, is because that moment in Helsinki was awful, where our president was taking the side of our greatest enemy, who had just interfered in our elections and said that, Dan Coates and the whole intelligence community that everyone else is wrong because I believe this guy. He was really strong in in what he was saying. So I believe President Putin. Well, no, that's that's unacceptable. And it would have been if President I mean people have said this but if President Obama had done that, the Republicans would have rightfully lost their minds mm-hmm. at our at our country being compromised in this way.
1: Yep. All right. Well, Joe Walsh a popcorn-worthy campaign,
0: right? We'll be, yeah. wa- we'll
1: be watching it very closely I mean, and, and, and seeing if he, can, if he can actually have an impact in the, in the way that we're talking. Uh, but it's time to move on to our hot take segment. And this is where we have 90 seconds to discuss a topic. And when you hear this sound, it'll be time to move on to the next topic. So first up, This is something that uh, you have been really hot on recently, which is, you know, the market is all over the place Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, with Trump's tweets. It's taken a tumble. And you're thinking that perhaps this is when impeachment happens.
0: Well, if the market is it continues. What we saw with President Trump and his dealings with China last week was a a dangerous situation, a dangerous man who is holding our economy uh, Mm -hmm. hostage. To do what I I do believe he thinks is is right, but he's not a very steady captain who's running that ship. So there was a moment, I think it was last Friday, where the market went down 600 points. And, you know, we spoke over the weekend and I said, look, if the market keeps going down, and something I was talking about earlier with in the wall segment, if the market keeps going down, what's going to stop Republicans from saying, hey, you know what, we're going to get slammed here and sort of signal to Pelosi that impeachment might actually be on the table.
1: Yeah, and I think what we saw is, uh, you know, Donald Trump's tweets uh, can drive the market. And what happened over the weekend after that went down, you notice he, he backed off. Yes, he did. Uh, but and then and he so, backed
0: off the back off.
1: Yeah, but backed off the back off. So the question is, this back and forth, is it enough to keep the market stable? Or does it get to a point where investors lose all, you know, confidence because they just think this is too shaky, and they start. You know, this is the problem is in investing is that they bank their money, so they take their money out of the, take out your, of the take stock your, market and put it in cash, yeah. or, or some other you know liquid investment uh, that they can hold on to. And yes, and once that happens, there's no stuff It does happen. It. Yeah, the, the market because-
0: free falls. Right, because in the past there have been presidents who've been able to sort of steady markets, but President Trump is not a steady sort of dude. One of the things that I found really fascinating this week uh, at the G seven was the relationship between Donald Trump and President Macron, um, and and most particularly his hand, the handshake. Did you have a chance to take a look at that handshake?
1: I absolutely, I did, and you know this is becoming a thing with Macron and Trump, <laughs> Macron with his handshakes. This one was an amazing handshake. Mm-hmm. So it was their joint press conference, right? And yeah. they're ending the joint press conference and, and Trump and, and Macron is supposed to exit the stage. and Trump's Right, because Trump didn't want Macron there while right, the press right. was so, reaming So him. he grabs his hand and then he keeps talking. Then he turns his Macron turns to the audience and start, the press and starts talking to them and you can see Trump try to release his hand. And Macron, his out, and Macron grabs tighter and puts his other hand on top of Trump's hand to stop him from doing that. And it pulls was, him closer to him. That's right. That was a power move beyond power moves.
0: And you you combine that with inviting Iran without getting permission, right? No, there was no approval. And that was even right. spoken of. He said that right in front of Trump's face. And then you combine that with that handshake. That's an under-the-radar moment where Macron's not asking permission anymore. Macron's saying, this is my world. You, you're not my friend. I, I'm not going to treat you with the same level of deference and respect moving forward. What are you going to do about that? I mean, it was... I was absolutely. I must have watched that fifteen times mm-hmm. just to see President Trump try to squeeze his hand out, and Macron, who has very large hands, it seemed, Well, President Trump doesn't have very large hands, but Macron had bigger <laughs> hands. I wasn't taking a shot there. No, I wasn't taking a shot there. That 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 wasn't my goal. But Macron had bigger hands than Trump, and you saw him literally hold him in place, as if to say, "I am the dominant person in this in this relationship right now." So it was uh, it
1: was fascinating to watch. Well another attendee over there at the G7 was the new prime minister of Britain, Boris Johnson. And I wanted to talk about this because while I follow American politics for my job, my hobby is following British politics. So they're they're having a very similar thing happen over there that we're talking about over here in terms of guarding regarding our republic, they're guarding their constitutional monarchy. And Boris Johnson uh, just uh, suspended Parliament, got the Queen to agree to suspend Parliament for five weeks as a way to keep Parliament out of it from talking about, uh, from d- debating Brexit. He wants to take Britain out of uh, without a deal. Parliament doesn't want to do that, and so he's just suspending Parliament so they don't have time to debate it. And
0: Burkow, John Burkow, who's the Speaker of the House of Parliament, uh, released a statement. He was on holiday with his family, and he basically called it a constitutional crisis um, for Great Britain. And he was talking, there's also, you know, he has a similar situation where you have Russia who has been sort of, Engaging on Brexit all these years trying to make it happen because if the EU continues to split and more people more countries leave the EU You right. begins to lose more power and it's a it's a very dangerous situation that's happening right now I mean, it's it, these two nations the United States of America and Great Britain are both going through Huge constitutional issues and you have the same sort of populist leader
1: in both places um, yeah. It's a it's yeah, a, it's and a, the same level of populism and and this is an an, an an instance where there are folks who could stand up to that. And in this case, it was the Queen. Uh, yeah. You know, this is That's this right. is her country, right? And she just acquiesced. for people who understand, usually Parliament is usually suspended for about a week every year, and it's just some process that they do over there. And it's the the idea is that it gives the gov. It's like our State of the Union address. It gives the government the ability to uh, to announce a new set of policies for the year. It's like the, the Queen's speech. It's called. And it usually happens for a week. And she could have just said, it's going to happen for a week, not five weeks. It'll be yeah. a week like before, but she didn't It may that, change.
0: So. Look, by the time we get back on air next week, we, we it may be a different situation. Um, okay, now I'm, I was fascinated by Nikki Haley's tweet earlier this week. And it may have something to do with Joe Walsh, okay? Um, where she says, this tweet was about Vice President Pence. Enough of the false rumors. Vice President Pence has been a dear friend of mine for years. He's been a loyal and trustworthy VP to the president. He has my complete support. Heart uh, U.S. flag. Um, No one was talking about that. Heart U.S. flag. No one was discussing this. So why did Nikki Haley do that? Somebody's discussing it. Right, Nikki Haley is discussing. No,
1: well, no, I mean there there are other people. Remember the uh, Kellyanne Conway tweet from a couple of weeks right. ago. Right, because the, and then she said when, when twenty twenty. Right, when when Nikki Haley, uh, you know, said that, that well, I forget what Trump was doing, but the, his, Nikki Haley's tweeted this is unnecessary. Um, and uh, and that was about said, yeah. um, that uh, it was something about the squad. I'm pretty sure. Right, right, and Kellyanne Conway this is unnecessary or, or something like that, and, and Trump. So, so that's. Obviously, that is circulating in Trump world. I, I, I don't think I agree with you on this. Man. No, it is. No, I'm not saying it's, it's not circulating, cir- but, remember, but I don't
0: think that's why she did it. I think she did it to sort of, if, if let's say Trump does go away, let's just talk for 20 seconds. Trump does go away. Everything that I was talking about, the market crashes. And Trump says, well, you know what? My, my approval's down to 58% in the Republican Party. I'm not going to run. Who's going to be the nominee in 2020? Right. I mean, it's not going to be Joe Walsh. It's not going to be Joe
1: Walsh. Or if he gets so, impeached, which well, unlikely, but if he doesn't get impeached, then you have so President who, Pence. who is
0: the nominee? Right. And Nikki Haley is sort of saying, well, you know, I know I've been discussed as this sort of the next in line to be the leader. I think that's what it's about. I, well, mean, it I think serves, she's sort actually, of sticking it, her it
1: serves It serves both purposes. It puts yeah. her back in Trump's good books and, and Pence's good books at the same time. So smart move. Okay, so now we're to the end of our hot
0: take section. Um, we're going to talk about the, the Guardian of the Week. And uh, this week, I did make the nomination on it. And for me, it was Jim Mattis. Yes,
1: and remember, our Guardian of the Week is somebody who puts their own personal or political future to the side for the good of the republic. Jim Mattis, who served as uh, Trump's defense uh, secretary, uh, has now come out and said, look, we've got a problem. Yeah,
0: and he said, here are a couple of the quotes that came out of his book and also some from his interview. He said that all Americans need to recognize that our democracy is an experiment and one that can be reversed. We all know that we're better than our current politics. So just that line was a shot at, I believe, at President Trump. And then when he was talking about why he gave up gave up the job. He said, I did as well as I could for as long as I could. And when my concrete solutions and strategic advice, especially keeping faith with our allies, no longer resonated, it was time to resign. Now, he said that he's not going to take shots at President Trump, but he's being very clear that he believes right there that President Trump is not keeping faith with our allies. He was then asked, and he, he then said, "We can see, we can see storm clouds gathering. A polemist's role is not sufficient for a leader. We will occupy an increasingly lonely position, one that puts us
1: at increasing risk in the world. Right. So you got two things there. It's the external threat and the internal threat. And he's, as, as many military leaders understand, that they're intertwined. And that the purpose of why we're doing this particular podcast is that our republic only stands on the back of public trust. And if there isn't public trust in what those who operate the levers of power are doing, then our democracy evaporates. And part of that is when you see a president who is basically giving comfort and aid to a geopolitical enemy in interfering in our democracy, then we've got problems.
0: Yeah. And Jim Mattis, who spoke in in one of the things he said in his most recent interview in The Atlantic with Jeffrey Goldberg, was he said that... um, he said that there's a certain amount of time once you leave office where you have to stay silent out of respect to the people who are still working or hoping that they will be able to do their jobs most effectively. But that is that will not be unlimited. Right. So the question then becomes, it does Secretary Mattis wait till the end of the term before he speaks out? Does he wait till the end of the presidency to speak out? Or will he speak out during this time coming up when Trump is being reelected? And you know, if he does choose to do that, that would, he would be guardian of the year. Well, okay, that's it for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic.
1: Uh, make sure to subscribe to get the latest episodes and please give us a rating in your favorite podcast app so others can find us, such as iTunes or Overcast. Uh, check out our website at guardians-republic.com or on Twitter at guardiansotr.
0: And thank you for joining us for this really special episode and we'll be back with a new episode next week.
1: See ya.